0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen.
1: Hi, guys. Wow, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm reading an obituary. My favorite thing to do. I, and I am so blown away by this woman. Never heard of her. Oh my God, what a life. Before we get to the usual crap, can I can I share this with you? Wow. Wow. Gertrude Jeanette. Does anybody ring a bell? Huh. Wow. Born, get this, 1914, okay, 1914 in a little town in Arkansas, which means she lived 103 years, God bless her. Anyway, my God, the headline on this obit in the New York Times doesn't even begin to tell, I mean, it's this Unbelievable life, Gertrude Jeanette. I'm just gonna stop. I'm gonna skip the childhood, skip the the marriage to a heavyweight prize fighter who uh, who proposed to her uh, after their first dance, and she said, "I ain't no fool," but ended up <laughs> ended up eloping with him anyway. Oh, my God. So, here's what the big thing in the story uh, is. But I don't think it's the biggest. But it shows this sort of indomitable spirit. Uh, 1942. So, she would have been, so she was in 42. Okay, quick, do the math, because I can't. 30? She was born in 1913. Uh, um, she's like 31. Thir- she's 29. I don't know what the hell she is. Anyway, a young woman, okay? And um, she was, it was, you know, World War Two. She's 30. <laughs> I should have stayed where I was. 30. So uh she saw an ad in the newspaper that said uh that they were looking for for the first time female cab drivers in New York City uh because so many of the male cab drivers had gone off to war and so in so many otherwise totally uh male dominated in fact uh females not allowed uh work factories all this stuff Women came in and did the jobs, proved they could do the jobs. She was the first woman given a, uh, a license, she was the first licensed cabbie in New York City who was a female. Okay, so that's the first uh, biggie. And uh, although it's pointed out that there was a female cab driver before her, but she was unlicensed. So I guess an illegal female cab driver who was known, Wilma K. Russi, and she was driving cab in 1915 when she wasn't supposed to. So, anyway, there's Gertrude Jeanette, and she's making her way through the streets of uh, Manhattan. She already caused trouble the first day on the job because she, she was black, and black cabbies were supposed to stay away from lower Manhattan, where the really good fares were, the big tippers, the this and that. And she went straight down, straight down to lower Manhattan and drove right up to the Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> and the other cabbies tried to um they they saw they saw she was black. They didn't see she was a woman because she had a cap on. And they the the white drivers were trying to muscle her out. She refused to leave. Anyway, it, it's just one story like this after another. She got her first fare there in front of the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, So, with the money that Gertrude had made uh, with her cab driving career, she decided to use that money to correct something that she felt had hindered her all her life. And that was that she had a stammer there is a difference between a stammer and a stutter, right? A stammer is more like a, 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 a it, it's more like that, right? Anyway, it was a stammer, not a stutter. I don't know. And she had heard that there was a, a well, a theater company, the American Negro Theater Company in uh, in a basement in Harlem that, uh, had a speech class obviously for actors but she decided I'm going and see if they can help me correct this and so in she went and um, lo and behold she did get rid of her stammer but by virtue of going to this theater uh, school she ended up taking acting classes as well and guess who she was taking acting classes alongside Oh, yeah, Sydney Poitier, Ruby Dee, Ossie Davis. And she blew people away. So she landed in a Broadway production, Lost in the Stars, in 1949. So this is seven years after she becomes the first cab driver. In that period, she loses her her stammer, and ends up on Broadway. She would go on to land roles in a ton of Broadway productions. Um, She ended up in some uh, Tennessee Williams play and developed a lifelong friendship with the playwright Tennessee Williams. Uh, She had numerous offers to go to Hollywood. She didn't want to, but she did act in in three movies, Cotton Comes to Harlem, Shaft, and uh, Black Girl in 1972. The whole time she's acting in the theater, she's constantly annoyed, miffed, about the roles that were available to black women. And so, being who she was, Gertrude Jeanette decided, well, there aren't any really, you know, substantial ones and ones that are anything but some sort of stereotypical view of a black woman and her life and her uh, inner reality. So, she, of course, decided to write her own plays. And that's what she did. She said, I saw parts that I knew I could never play because I was black, and so I started writing about women, strong women, that I knew no woman would be ashamed to play. It goes on and on and on. The heavyweight boxer she married, just like that, That marriage lasted. He became a bodyguard for Paul Robeson, the brilliant uh, opera singer, actor, political activist. (laughs) Um, She was called Mother Gertrude or Miss, Miss J as she was known in Harlem. She ended up Founding a number of theater companies in Harlem. And she felt Harlem was where she belonged. And so, despite all the Hollywood offers, she stayed in Harlem to make sure that the community would always have a top notch theater. She became a director. A demanding director and mentored an entire generation of young black actors in New York. She wrote five plays, wonderfully dramatic pieces. She continued to act into her 80s. She retired from directing when she was 98. This is an extraordinary woman. God bless her. Gertrude Jeanette. 103 years old. And jam-packed her life. So many things into that life. Gosh. Wow. So. That was great, if I do say so myself, made my day. Yeah, you know, yesterday was one of those days. By the way, uh, speaking of news, uh, that we never um, that it has become normal in our in the Trump era, but uh, would have blown our minds uh, just two years ago. It was a day on which there were, I don't know two huge, huge stories, two, two huge ones, three or four mighty big ones, and it was like literally they were breaking on the hour. So if you were like listening to the news and then you got out of your car and went and ran a little errand, you come back and then, car and lo and behold an entirely new huge story has broke it's, it happened to me yesterday. Cosby's conviction. North Korean lead, North South Korean leaders meeting and looking for all the world like they were long lost brothers and and uh and saying that they reached an agreement that that they're going to work to to get rid of, I mean, to like a, end the Korean War uh, by the end of the year or something. I mean, just, just sort of mind-blowing stuff. And you'll note that neither of those uh, mentioned Donald Trump, but of course Trump, as usual, was making sure that um, he would be, uh, constant in the news cycle as well, beginning from when he woke up, <laughs> as always, um, and one of our callers, Michael uh, in, in Polish Hill, alerted us to this yesterday on the show. He called and said, did you see, <laughs> did you see Trump? Uh, Trump's interview on Fox and Friends this morning? Well, it turns out, yeah, it was. I, I watched it later unbelievable. unbelievable uh, if any other president in the history of our nation had performed in public in such a manner, de, sort of clearly, un I don't know what to say, I mean, destable, unstable, uh, sort of not making a lot of sense careening from one subject to the next, talking nonstop, no periods, no commas, just sort of this this rant, screaming into the telephone. I mean, there would have been immediate emergency meetings of all kinds of congressional, uh, you know, big shots saying, is the, do we need to, you know, invoke the 25th Amendment? Is there some kind of something? Is there something really wrong? Is he in his right mind? And the thing is now we are, um, <laughs> we don't even, we don't even blink. And what's so not funny about it is uh, in less than two years, this, this poor excuse for a human being has dropped our expectations, even our assumptions of normative behavior for a man, let alone a president, I mean, it really is just astonishing. Astonishing. And other stories kept breaking during the day, any of which, in what used to be our lives and uh, normal times, would have been the focus of our attention for days and weeks on end but so buffeted are we by the fact that we are led by this man who cannot focus for more than a minute on any one subject that we now he is dragging all of us with him in and and the danger is of course that we're unable to process anything unable to process a damn thing there is no time to take a cleansing breath and to try to orient oneself To try to think. There's something that's gone by the wayside. Try to think about what something might mean. About there is no time anymore. We're all just breathlessly, (laughs) and led by our media, breathlessly, just trying to keep up but we're not digesting any of it i don't think i really don't so i i i, I don't i just don't know what to uh I've got a lot of things to talk about here, but, you know, I, I, I fear for us. I do. Because we are really, we are losing sight of what should be, what was the norm. And I think once there's this kind of a, you know, once there's this decline in expectations and assumptions um, I don't think it's easily pulled back up. That's my guess um jeez well i'm we we I am able to take in emails today everything's been fixed, so I see a whole ton of them here uh let me just uh. Jump in to them uh Barry McCaffrey uh, who was uh a lot of things in um in the Clinton administration right and he's a former army officer he tweeted this. Worried about the health of President Trump. Uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly needs to get him offline and get a week's rest. Lots of luck with that. Phone call to Fox News was very troubling. Has three years left in office. The President has immense legal authority. An unstable president is not good for the American people. Yeah. Yeah, Barry. That's, that's what I was saying. Right. There's no way anyone's going to get this guy under control, obviously. We, we, I mean, if we've learned one thing, we know that's true. And you know uh, be, to get around uh, John Kelly, you know who is like his, his babysitter? It truly is his minder. he's figured out ways like bad kids do getting around uh, the, the babysitter. And one of the ways he's been getting around, and this is a national security concern is he is using his private cell phone. And he's still screaming about Hillary Clinton with uh, with her uh, computer uh, in the in her at her home, unsecured. The president he's the president of the damn United States, and he is calling people and ranting on a totally unsecured phone, and no one can take it away from him apparently. Do you remember when Obama became president and he surrendered his BlackBerry? Surrendered it. Bob, in Braddock writes against every odd possible the Pittsburgh Pirates have. Yeah, brought back uh, Jung Ho Kang. Is it Jung or Young? I don't know if they do the Jays uh, yeah, I saw that uh I remember his rookie year. I mean he was just amazing. Everybody loved him, and then he started exhibiting uh, behavioral issues uh There was a woman in Chicago who accused him of uh did she accuse him of rape? Then there were all these drunken driving things. He was arrested in in South Korea for what, three DUIs? Um, and the Pirates have happily gotten him a work visa. And um, Bob writes this. This is awesome news because it looked like he wouldn't play baseball in America again, much less for the Pirates because of him being charged with three D- DUIs. And because of you-know-who in charge and you-know-who what's love affair, or lack thereof, with threatening foreigners in terms of forcing to leave the country. What, what, what? Coming back to this country because of what? Trump being Trump. Anyway, whether you like this news or not, and I do not. I mean, just because he might be good for the team. Did you see video of him? Of There was video of his last uh, DUI. I mean, he was his car was crossing over the line was up on the median he is a you got a huge problem there is no indication that he's got that under control so because you're a good player you get to come back i don't know i'm i'm very conflicted about it but you know when it comes to our team, so Ben Roethlisberger can do stuff to young women in in bar bathrooms and uh, and man we he's our hero. And uh, this this guy is uh he's a lucky guy, huh? <laughs> he was sentenced to jail. In South Korea. They put him on probation or something. Believe me, the Pirates have been pulling strings, every string they can, uh, to get him back. But I find it off-putting, frankly. Uh, So, Bob, I'm not in agreement with you about this is great. He's back with the team after his workout and rehab stints. Where the Pirates spring spring training end in the minor leagues, we probably won't see him at PNC until the Penguins win their third straight Stanley Cup. I, I, I you know, I, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'd rather root for the Penguins. Uh, those seem to be, uh, in general, totally upstanding guys, and a great uh, organization. <laughs> the Pirates have just uh, since they traded. <laughs> McCutcheon, who I so loved. I just, I don't give a damn anymore, frankly. Oh God. Mark is writing with some wonderful news, as wonderful as it can be coming out of what it's, we how we even know the name James Shaw, Jr., uh, we know the da- name James Shaw, Jr. because he is the man who was in that Waffle House and uh, disarmed the killer. And uh, Mark is writing to say that James Shaw now is paying the funeral expenses of the victims. And he, how is he able to do that? Well... Some folks on, um, and I don't know who started it, some folks on Twitter started a GoFundMe page for him, I guess just to express thanks to him for being the hero that he was, who, of course, our president did not acknowledge in any way because you had a white guy shooting up, a place with a bunch of black people in it you had a black hero and the president who if that had been a reverse situation racially would have been on twitter about it without a doubt was not so people seeing that um, took up I guess GoFundMe which just lasted a very specific period of time and and uh, people from all over the country uh, sent in dollars and little donations, and it amounted to, I think, almost $180,000 in just a day or two. And, um, you know, I don't think James Shaw Jr. is a wealthy man, and I think a lot of people getting a windfall like that uh, would pocket it. What a wonderful man this guy is. So he gets all that money, and he turns around, and he gives it to the families of the victims so that they can properly bury their young dead. Hmm. Incredible. Well thank you Scott. I don't know that I'm brave at all. He says you're brave enough to speak truth to power. I'm not. There's no power sitting here. I'm not, it takes no bravery whatsoever Scott to sound off like I do. None. None. But thank you. Listening to you is one of the few things that keeps this senior citizen going. <laughs> well thank you. I do appreciate that. Uh, Okay, Uh, did you see, and I don't know, was this covered in the main news that Paul Ryan, who is still, by the way, the Speaker of the House, even though he's decamping, uh, because he's a coward, (laughs) that we know, Um, did you see that he essentially fired the chaplain of the House? I mean, that's shut up. What's going on? Oh here, here it is. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry. Um he fired the chaplain. I didn't mean to scream at you, but I, I, I Who Fires the Chaplain? He fired the chaplain, a Roman Catholic priest. And he didn't have the He didn't have, as usual, the courage to do it openly and to explain his reasons. No. What he did is demand the priest resign. And so, Father Conroy, now the former chaplain of the United States House of Representatives, let us know he had essentially been fired by writing to the speaker, Paul Ryan, and saying, as you have requested, I hereby offer my resignation as the 60th chaplain of the United States House of Representatives. He had been in that position since 2011. He has declined to comment, but a number of sources from both sides of the aisle have confirmed to reporters that he was told he darn well better leave or he would be dismissed. Ryan didn't have the courage to tell him this to his face. He left his chief of staff to do it. Apparently, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the minority leader of the House, is uh, furious about this and has brought it up in uh, meetings with uh, fellow Democrats. Uh, A bipartisan group, is uh, is probably uh, going to be writing a letter to Ryan asking for specific information as to why Father Conroy was dismissed. This, there is a letter circulating among um, members of the House right now. Um, nobody knows, although... Democrats are saying that Ryan felt that Conroy, in some of his prayers, (laughs) in some of his prayers opening a House session, was taking shots at him. For instance, this. The first day of, I guess, uh, the, um, the introduction of the Republican tax bill, Father Conroy, in the prayer that opened the session, uh, said this. May all members be mindful that the institutions and structures of our great nation guarantee the opportunities that have allowed some to achieve great success while others continue to struggle. May their efforts these days, the members, guarantee that there are not winners and losers under new tax laws, but benefits balanced and shared by all Americans. People say that's what did it. And uh, a senior Republican aide said, well, it wasn't because of any particular prayer, but I guess Father Conroy was given to saying things like, and dear Lord, I hope the members will keep in mind your teachings <laughs> of being fair and treating others like you would want to be treated, you know, real radical stuff like that, that Ryan took as criticism. Um, I can see how he might have. Uh, So they are contending that Pelosi was told about it. Since then, by the way, um, <clears throat> by the way, no, I just want—I'm sorry, I'm just getting this now. Uh, Conroy came on in, in this capacity uh, because he was nominated by former Speaker John Boehner. Okay, a Republican. Anyway. Uh, Yeah, so he's been – and then some – I can't tell you which one, which despicable Republican uh, member of the House it was, but uh, one uh, took to Twitter, I guess, yesterday, and suggested that uh, the next chaplain should be a married person, I think said man, so that he can understand the uh, concerns – of the mostly married uh, members of the house uh, who have children. And so, in other words, no priests need apply, I think. By the way, there has never been anything but a Christian uh, in the position. In uh, 60 people having uh, had this position, I would hope that they might see fit to uh, try somebody from another religion, just to show that Christianity is not somehow the state religion, which, of course, is something that is not allowed by our Constitution. I think that would be a real good way. If in 60 appointments, every single one has been someone who believes Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I think there are a lot of people in the house who don't believe that, and it might be sort of nice, a sop, a crumb, if you will, to allow a clergy member who is not Christian to have this position. I won't hold my breath. Little Tony writes, I couldn't believe when when I heard that Paul Ryan was Catholic. Paul Ryan is no Catholic. He's a vampire. (laughs) He he worships a different god altogether. It's my mother who said, he looks like Dracula. So she thinks he's a vampire, uh, too. Uh, We have a call. Go ahead. Hello. Hi, Lynn. Hi.
0: Hi. Hey, um. Isn't Pennsylvania wonderful? We have a uh, convicted pedophile, Sandusky. Now we have Cosby, convicted rapist, basically. Yeah, we got some wonderful
1: characters here. Well, rather than Man. rather than say that, let's say a jury made up of um, Pennsylvania uh, uh, people. Poor people, yeah. Yeah, uh, convicted him when um, other yeah. juries have in the past have not, so... There you go. Um, yeah, we can't help that he was, you know, a Philadelphian. Uh, it, it's pretty stunning stuff, actually. Um, but there are over 60 women who say that uh, he sexually assaulted them. That is astonishing. Really astonishing. I take no pleasure in an 80-year-old man uh, going to prison. None. It It really makes me... Cringe. Yeah. Makes me cringe. But, man, he escaped his fate for his entire life. My guess is, is they are going to... I bet he dies before he goes to prison. That's my guess. He would be well advised to, because otherwise he's going to die in prison. I don't know. Okay, thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, bye. bye. <laughs> Thought you went to sleep on me or something. Um, also, another thing I came upon yesterday th- that I had not heard of before, A2 Tom, uh, is that Tom Brokaw has been accused of sex- inappropriate sexual conduct with young women at NBC. Had you heard that? That nice Nebraska boy, the boy who coined the term the greatest generation, that sweet Tom Brokaw, who I think still, isn't he still on? Uh, Wow, there are two women Uh, who have come forward, uh, one very explicit, a former NBC correspondent, Linda Vester, who told the Washington Post that Tom Brokaw made unwanted advances toward her on two occasions in the 1990s uh, when she was 20 years old, in her 20s. She didn't file a complaint because like many women in the 90s (laughs) you didn't you knew what he was the big anchor and you were going to say he's trying to kiss me all that would happen is you'd lose your job Uh, Brokaw has denied um, it totally saying uh, the meetings he had with her were brief, cordial, and appropriate. I made no romantic overtures towards her. Uh, another woman has come forward who is remaining anonymous, who also told her. But, but the what Vetter, Duster, the story she tells, is so believable, it's incredible. Um I'm I'm looking for it because I you you decide. Uh, There's a very long story uh, about uh, about Matt Lauer and how NBC has apparently um, sort of outed his accuser, and Lauer is Lauer and um, what's his name Charlie Rose, and a whole bunch of these guys are already in talks to. Get back there's one one I heard which is mind blowing to me that one idea is Charlie Rose actually interviewing in a special Lauer and other abusers I mean i what who comes up with ideas like that? because oh, you know what? people'll tune into that. There's money to be had. We have a call. Hello? Oh, hello. Hello.
0: Uh, Hey, uh, I wanted to return to one of yesterday's topics. Okay. Uh, You mentioned that statue coming down, Stephen Foster. Yes. And I just so very rarely hear that thing fully discussed. First of all, I don't really – maybe I called you about this before, but I don't really care if that statue was taken down um, because, you know, how racist our country is. And Pittsburgh being segregated, et cetera, et cetera but the um so I really don't care, but the your comments on that guy in the statue being in tattered clothes <laughs> some of the some of the criticisms of it I don't quite understand um because it's a statue to Stephen Foster, not the imaginary character at his feet, so and the imaginary character is a slave, so from one of his songs, so I don't, I haven't quite understood. It's not clear. Saying, it's not clear
1: he's I, strumming one of Foster's songs. I think Foster is. I mean, I've, I mean nothing is over clear. Over the years,
0: I've heard a lot on this statue, and I've repeatedly read in the recent stories in the Post Gazette and years ago in a Pit News article uh, that that's a character from one of his songs, that he's not real. And so, uh, to me, plus, it's a statue to Stephen Foster, so I don't know why you would have this, any so again I don't I'm just saying it's not even a real person, so the fact that this character from a song But it's a is,
1: depiction of a black person that in rag a shoeless black person in rags at the feet of the white guy. And for if Yeah, you're a yeah black,
0: if it's everything I, I agree with you. I'm saying what I would say if we actually lived in, in an ideal world I would argue against taking it down. But I do wish there was some context saying, uh, you know, in the discussions about it. Uh, so put away in a museum. I'm totally fine with that. I, yeah. I'm very happy. I, I'm excited to see this statue that they're proposing to put up. But the argument that this character, should, uh, this, uh, you know, should, with, is the argument that a slave should have been dressed as nicely as Stephen Foster, I think that would have brought it just as much criticism because that's not, I don't know, I mean, all the photographs I've seen of slaves, it wasn't unusual to see them in tattered clothing, or worse. So I wouldn't have expected to see that character dressed well, and I wouldn't have expected him to be looking down on Stephen Foster, who the statue is too.
1: Yeah, but so, I I really don't even understand your point. So you want it to have context? It's going to have context. It'll be put someplace, and someone will... tell you well and and if we no one ever sees it again no harm no foul but no
0: no i don't think so either but i i think that the some of those arguments don't make any sense because it's it's i mean you're saying that a a statue to stephen foster should have had this imaginary character i mean i guess if you're saying that since he took I don't even know how the imaginary character would have been. He
1: doesn't look like an imaginary character. It looks like this little tattered black guy who's very odd-looking, if you ask me, uh, playing. And I never, no, I mean, it it, it is, there is no difference in the, you know, in the fact that both Foster and this black musician are um, nowhere does it say this is some kind of fanciful character it looks like a black man and to anyone walking down the street it looks like a black man at the feet of this white guy and it's just objectionable and and how does it make black people feel that's all that's all
0: well the other the parts that things that i've read on it say that it's that I've, I don't know it was in the recent Post because that article well I mean like six months ago or whenever that was but they referred to this character and in previous readings what they said about him is that the, the character was the first time in popular culture in the West in the United States that
1: huh.
0: a slave was even treated as a human being which I think is a pretty significant oh god that oh. was that doesn't fine. make me care that the statue is yeah. being ripped down
1: well fine that it belongs in a museum
0: I didn't mean to make you angry. I'm
1: sorry. (laughs) It's okay. You didn't make me angry. I just don't quite, not quite agreeing with you. But yeah, it belongs in a museum. We agree with that. Yes, we do. And I hope somebody sticks it in. Yeah, thank you. It's not that they're. Hey, there was a museum right there. They could have just schlepped it right into the Carnegie, right? I'm going to get back to this account because I want you to hear this about Brokaw. So this woman, Vester, says she was a young, so she's in her 20s, she's a Middle East correspondent, and she was in New York, this is 1994, and preparing to return to Washington, and she received a message from Tom Brokaw the anchor of NBC Nightly News, the biggest star. And Vester said Brokaw asked her, where, where are you and what are you doing tonight? And she replied to him, i had check, I've checked out of my hotel and I'm going to catch the last shuttle back to D.C. before the coming snowstorm. And Brokaw wrote her back, that's not a good idea. And why didn't she uh, join him for a drink? Anyway, she ended up missing her flight. My gut told me his intentions were not good. She wrote in her diary that night. And she supplied that diary to the Post, Washington Post. She called her best friend at the network, a producer in the Washington Bureau, who has corroborated the all the aspects of her account? And um, Vester responded to Brokaw when he said, "Let's have a drink." She said, "I only drink milk and cookies." She this is all what she wrote in her diary, and she said it was the only thing I could think of at the time hoping the reference to milk and cookies would make him realize I was 30 years his junior and not interested. In her diary, she wrote that her final note to Brokaw was, there is nothing I would like more than a good chat, a great talk with someone I admire, but if appearances are a concern, that's valid. And she said to the post, I was trying to suggest that if he was worried that what he was suggesting might look wrong... (laughs) It's <laughs> because it was wrong. And Vester's friend in D.C., who spoke on the condition of anonymity because uh, she signed a nondisclosure agreement when she left NBC, oh, these not NDAs. Who even knew the term before? NDA. So this woman has an NDA, too, with NBC. She said she urged Vester to just get out of the NBC system that they were using to communicate so that Brokaw wouldn't be able to get back to her. Anyway, she ends up missing the shuttle, stranded her in New York, and once in my room, she said, I received three phone calls, one from a friend, another from a source, The third was from Tom Brokaw, who said, order milk and cookies, I'm coming over. Vester said she was terrified that if she refused to beat with him, my career would be over before it even got started. She called her producer friend in D.C. who agreed to stay on the phone with her. Then Vester heard a knock on the door. The friend in Washington said to Vester on the phone, call me back in 30 minutes. If I don't hear from you in 30 minutes, I will alert the front desk to come to your room. So Vester hangs up. She opens the door and Brokaw walked past her and sat on the sofa. What do you want from me, Vester said, she asked him. She recalled him looking at her with mild exasperation. His response was, an affair of more than passing affection. But you're married, she said, and I'm Catholic. Understand, she's 24, 25 years old. He's in his 50s and the... Big star, then Brokaw patted the sofa next to him, and she said she sat down at the opposite end of the couch couch and brought up a sexual harassment case she had been that had been uncovered at NBC just recently to try to signal she she was not interested in whatever she thought she felt was about to happen. Brokaw leaned over pressed his index finger to my lips and said, this is our compact. My inside shook. I went completely cold. These are all the things she's, when he left, sort of like Comey, she wrote this all in her diary, contemporaneously. And then she said very quickly, he put his hand behind her neck and gripped her head Now let me show you how to give a real kiss, Kiss, he said, and jerked her head toward him. She remembers tensing her neck muscles and using all her strength to wriggle free and stand up. She wrote in her diary, I said, Tom, I don't want to do this with you. He sat silent for a few minutes and finally said, I guess I should go. The next day, Vester said she and Brokaw spoke, and he attempted to make the interaction seem consensual. She didn't agree. Later, she met with another friend who corroborated in an interview that Vester was rattled by the episode, disappointed in what had happened, given the fact that she had respected Brokaw. And then a second incident in London more than a year later. Uh... And again, she warded off his advances. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. How I know. Welcome to a woman in television's life. 1990. Probably still. But more so then because there was just nowhere to go. Tom from Penn Hills writes, I didn't think the Stephen Foster statue was in the same league as statues of enemies of the United States, you know, in other words, Confederate soldiers. Oh, I agree with you. Never found it offensive. Maybe it can be moved back to Highland Park where it was before. Okay, fine. It always creeped me out, but I, I never thought of what it would do to a black kid. I don't know. Okay, I just want to say this again. To welcome to a woman's world. This is a local story. Ohio Township police officer uh, has uh, is back on the job after being suspended for five days without pay. Um, his police chief says I have no concerns. Now, to what prompted his suspension for five days without pay? He was part of a speed trap on uh, on Ohio uh, River Boulevard, where there are many. And a 40-year-old woman, Michelle Benninger, was caught. And this officer, Dominic DiGiulio, uh, was th- th- one of the arresting officers. And <clears throat> he ended up, after her, I think, initial court appearance, she got nabbed for a DUI. Um, he sent her, get this, a half dozen photos of him completely naked, Um I mean, in the, I mean, it, it, she describes the, I can't, I'm not even going to bother. It's in the Post-Gazette, I, describing. This is the cop who arrested her, sending her these photos with his erect member. He texted her. He said he was bored. And then the next thing, she gets this photo of him. And he kept on sending these photos. She contacted her attorney. And her attorney's advice was, "Don't make him angry." What? <laughs> she contacted the district attorney. <clears throat> she contacted the ACLU and she got better she got a little bit of a better response. Anyway, the result of this is is that the DA threw her case out. He got suspended for five days without pay and put back on the job. And he's on the job. And you tell me if you'd want a police officer on the job who did that. Ohio township's chief of police thinks it's great. No problem. Ask that of any woman who might get stopped by this guy. The chief of police, Norbert Miklow, said yesterday, I have no concerns. We addressed it, and hopefully that's the end of it. And hopefully that's the end of it? I have no concerns. I do. Every woman in your jurisdiction would. Any man who wouldn't want his wife or daughter picked up by this guy would. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just want to say. There's so much to talk about. I didn't even get to Bill Cosby. Damn it. This is living in the age of Trump. Not, yeah, I guess it is. It is. This kind of stuff, I'm glad. I'm glad people are starting to hear about it. I am so glad women are not keeping quiet anymore. I am so glad. enough oh god do you know there's some prayer in in Judaism I've never really seen it but I've heard this before and I guess orthodox men say it every morning they thank god for not being born a woman yeah sure well this woman says, have a great weekend. Go, Pens, And um, I'll see you on, on Monday. And I'm spending the weekend looking for good news. Okay, bye.
0: Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com.